Praise the Lord for that. Luke chapter 14 this evening. Luke chapter 14. Going to read here an interaction between folks and the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, they're uh, some of my favorite passages in the scripture to see where people interact with Christ. There's a lot to be learned from that. And uh, Luke chapter 14, uh, specifically, the Lord is laying out uh, for these followers of his what it means to actually be a disciple of his. And uh, in Luke chapter 14, there's a great multitude following Jesus around. And uh, the reason they're following him around is they're looking for a handout. And uh, hey, why not? Man, if all of a sudden you hear about a guy who comes into town, and uh, when you get close to him, he's healing the blind and, and uh, performing miracles. He's uh, healing the sick and causing the, the lame to leap. 
Uh, man, why not? Why wouldn't you go check that out? I certainly would. You know, we often talk about these faith healers and, and uh, if they really had something going on, they could go into the hospitals and, you know, they could walk down the, the, uh, the cancer wings and, and cure cancer. And I bet you if somebody walked into a hospital and started curing cancer, uh, people would want to see what's going on. And in Luke chapter 14, it, people wanted to see what was going on. And, uh, and so they're following Jesus and uh, looking to see what he has to offer and what he has to say. And, uh, and he lays out for them uh, in this passage uh, some requirements that it would be, uh, there would be, if you were going to be more than just a casual follower of Jesus Christ. He lays out uh, this concept of what it means to be a disciple. It says in verse number 25, Luke 14, 25, and there were or there went great multitudes with him, and he turned and said unto them, If any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whatsoever doth and whosoever, I'm sorry, and whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you intending well let's let's stop right there. So we see two phrases that he uses. He says, here's two different reasons people cannot be my disciple. The first thing that he laid out there uh, was, well, let me, let me pause here. I'm getting ahead of myself. I think that there's sitting in this room tonight people who desire to be disciples of Christ. I, I don't think that you're here on a Wednesday night just because you're uh, looking for the Lord to do some miracle. Uh, you're committed to the cause. I want to challenge this area and, and maybe uh, encourage us to be greater disciples for the cause of Christ and, and following after him. Um, there are numerous Christians who are not disciples, kind of followed after him for the salvation part of it, but the discipline of it is uh, neglected. A disciple claims no rights to the person they're following. They don't think that they deserve something. They don't think that they deserve to be treated a certain way. Uh, a disciple is somebody who's willing to just follow uh, without any uh, rights. They have no rights. They don't feel like they're uh, owed something by their master. They, they understand that there is worth in following the master, and so they, they decide to give themselves completely to it. A disciple makes no demands of their master. A disciple of, of, of a master simply is willing to go along because they believe in the cause of that master. They believe that it's worthwhile following. And so it's not a, a demand on what he has to offer. A true disciple is just, I'm here to help you with your cause. A disciple is, is totally available and totally willing. Uh, a true disciple of Jesus Christ is somebody who's just willing to be used by him no matter what. However, whenever, whatever. I'm completely willing. They're totally confident in who their master is as well. You don't follow somebody and give up your life to follow another man's life if you're not confident in what they have to offer, right? You're, you're not going to do it. Um, you, look, you look at what's going on in the Middle East right now, and you see two groups of people, one group defending themselves and the other who are committed disciples to their master. You see a group of people who are committed to Allah, and they are committed to the destruction of anyone who is not of their faith. And so they are raining missiles down upon Israel. 
And you see a group, Israel, that is simply out to defend their, they have an obligation to defend their people. But that's, that's what uh, people do when they're totally confident. How can a suicide bomber strap on a bomb and walk into a plaza and blow themselves up? Confidence. They have confidence. They're disciples. They believe that what they're doing, the cause that they have is, is worthwhile. And if it calls for their life, then they're committed to that. They're confident in that cause. It also, uh, being a disciple, is, is also, it's also true of a disciple that they are obedient. You know, to uh, be a, a disciple of a, of a, uh, a discipline, like a, a karate-type discipline or uh, whatever, jujitsu, whatever that craft you may choose, uh, that hand-to-hand combat. Uh, if you're going to be a disciple of one of those types, of those forms of fighting, uh, you're going to have to be obedient to your master. You're going to have to learn the forms and you're going to have to, to learn the motions and you're going to have to repeat them over and over and over and over and over again in simple obedience so that you can learn what that means, so you can be a true disciple. Now, I, again, I, I reiterate that I believe there is a group of people here tonight who want to be disciples. I think maybe sometimes we don't have uh, the proper perspective of what being a disciple is and, and that's where these people were. They were following Jesus Christ, and he turns around to them and says, hey, I want to I straighten you out. You're following me. I'm glad you're here, but here's what a disciple cannot do. And, uh, and so I, I want to just take a few moments this evening and examine what it means to be a disciple of Christ and, and how we can grow uh, in that position or role in life. Father, we do thank you once again for our time together this evening. We ask, Lord, that you would help us to uh, be better followers of Christ. Lord, help us not to be casual in our pursuit of you, Lord, but that we would be dedicated and committed to that cause. Lord, thank you that you are a master who is faithful. Lord, that you are always right. Lord, we can submit in obedience and confidence to you because we have seen you prove yourself faithful time and time again. Lord, I pray that you would increase our faith in you this evening. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Those two verses we read there that uh, uh, describe two things that a disciple cannot be. The first is verse number 26. If any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, and his own life, he cannot be my disciple. There is no relationship in life that is greater than the relationship between a child of God and their heavenly father. He's not calling for uh, the believer to hate their mother and father or brother and sister. He's not even calling for a believer to hate himself. He's calling for the believer to elevate Christ above every other relationship that is humanly speaking. There is no greater relationship that we can have than the relationship that we should have with Jesus Christ. Often our relationships are a hindrance to the cause of Jesus Christ. Um, The Bible um, is is very clear and and, and it shares different stories about uh, people who allowed relationships uh, we saw, uh, or you, you see in the, in the New Testament there where uh, the man says, I've just taken a wife, and I cannot, I cannot follow you. I would go, but I've just taken a wife, and I can't do that. And the Lord is, is sharing with us here that there is no other relationship that a true disciple has above Jesus Christ. 
The question this evening then would be, uh, do you have a relationship that pulls you away from Christ? If I'm to be a, a genuine and true disciple, is there a relationship in my life that is pulling me away from Jesus Christ? There are all these people here uh, vying for the attention of Jesus Christ. But I venture to say that very few of them wanted him more than anything else. They wanted what he could perform, but did they want him? There are so many distractions in the world in which we find ourselves today. And while it may not be a relationship with another person, maybe it's a relationship with the things we have in this world that are a distraction from the cause of Christ. Matthew chapter 6, verse 25 says, Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life, what ye shall eat or what ye shall drink, nor yet for your body, what ye shall put on. Is not the life more than meat, and the body than raiment? Behold, the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are ye not much better than they? He's saying, hey, you know what? There's, there's, a, there's a temptation for the believer to be consumed with the things of this life. And he's saying, why don't you commit those to me? Why don't you let me? If, if, you're, if I'm going to be your master and you're going to be my disciple, why don't you let me take care of your needs? Stop worrying about trying to have to supply those things for yourself and just submit in obedience to me. Obviously, I'm not advocating to this evening for laziness or I'm not advocating for uh, being a sloth or uh, being dependent upon your government. Um, I'm advocating this evening uh, for uh, us being dependent upon the Lord and how there are so many times in our lives where our relationship with things or other people hinder us from being a true disciple for Jesus Christ. The Lord needs disciples. We... We know in Mark chapter 10, there's that young man, the rich young ruler. Hey, I want you to sell everything. And I want you to follow me. I want you, I want you to sell all that thou hast and give it to the poor. That's, that's what it's going to look like for you to, to follow after me. But his relationship with those things was too great. And so we see in verse number 20, uh, Luke chapter 14, verse uh, 26, If any, any man come to me and hate not his father and his mother and his wife and his children and his brethren and sisters, yea, in his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. Verse number 27, it says, Whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. There's a cross mentioned in this phrase, and there is a following of a person. Come after me. Now, he doesn't say, whosoever would take up my cross, but take up his cross. Now, I do not believe that the cross that is being mentioned here is the burdens that we face in this life. As in, I have my cross to bear. <laughs> You know, someone may be going through a difficult trial and they, they may use the phrase, oh, I have my cross to bear. And that's not what he's talking about. He's not talking about the, the burdens or the struggles of your life, but rather the idea or the concept that I'm willing to be crucified to my own desires. 
That I'm willing to take up my cross. That who I am as an individual isn't any greater than His cause. See, what happens in our lives is we become consumed with ourselves. And even as believers, we've got to be careful if we're going to be true disciples of Jesus Christ that what we desire and what we want doesn't become elevated above following. Above, above Him being the Master and us being the disciple. And He says, if, if you allow the things of your life in your own personal desires, your own cross... If you're not willing to die to those things, then you cannot be my disciple. The question then that should uh, resonate in all of our minds when we read something to that is, uh, is there a will of mine, mine that I am submitted to more than I am to His will? Is there something that I do in my life that I want that doesn't go along with what He wants for me? I want to be a disciple of Christ. I want to be a disciple of Christ because it's the position uh, wherewith I can serve Him the greatest. Where I can be used of Him. Don't you want to be used of Him? Do you want to be used? At the end of this passage in verse number 34, it says salt is good for a savior. A savor. Just when he gets done with all this about, this is how you be my disciple. Verse number 34, he says salt is good but if the salt have lost his savor, wherewith shall it be seasoned? It is neither fit for land, nor yet for the dunghill, but men cast it out. He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. And there's, a, there's a bunch of people say, oh, I'm following Christ. But you know what? It's when we become a disciple of Christ that we're really the salty Christians that we ought to be. It's there that we have savor. It's there that we become useful to the cause of Christ. But when we, when we allow relationships with other people or the things of this life uh, to, to infiltrate our hearts, then we lose our saltiness. When, when we allow our will to supersede His will, then we lose our saltiness. How many of you uh, tonight want to, uh, to be non-effective for the cause of Christ? I, mean, I don't think there's a single person in this room that desires that. I think more than anything, the testimony tonight would be, hey, I want to be more salty for the cause of Christ. I want to have more savor. I want to be used in a greater way for the cause of Christ. So how can I do that? Well, we can become better disciples. He goes on to explain to us in verse number 28, for which of you intending to build a tower, sitting not down first and counteth the cost, whether he have sufficient to finish it? Yeah, you, you want to be a disciple? You better count the cost. You want to truly follow Christ? It's going to cost you something. Be wise. Don't just run into this like, you know, oh, I'll charge hell with a squirt gun. You know, the ambition is great. But it's just a, a phrase that we use. It's not really that effective. Being a disciple of Christ is going to cost us something. It's going to cost us so much that the Lord doesn't just use this one metaphor. He goes on to use another. For which of you, uh, let's see, uh, verse number 30. No, um, verse 31. So first he uses the building metaphor. You count the cost of what it's going to cost you. Verse number 31. Or what king goeth to make war against another king, sitting not down first, and consulteth whether he be able with 10,000 to meet him, that cometh against him with 20,000? 
Hey, you know what? You've got to consider what you're committing to here. You want to be a disciple of Christ, uh, you've got to count the cost. You've got to understand that it's, it's, it's going to be a battle. There's going to be something that's a war that's waged in front of you. And you've got to consider what the battle is going to look like. What king doesn't consider what the enemy looks like before he makes his strategy for war? Being a disciple of Christ is going to cost you something and it's going to be a battle. It's so important that we allow the Lord to be our master. It's so incredibly important to the cause of uh, Christ that we become effective disciples. But we have to walk into it with the right mentality. If your Christianity and following Christ is costing you nothing, then I would venture to say you are not truly a disciple. If he reiterated this principle twice, then it should be costing us something. We don't want it to cost us anything. At least our flesh doesn't. In our flesh, we want it all to be smooth sailing. We don't want complications. We don't want difficulties. We don't want our, our, our faith to be tested or tried. We just, we just want to move on through. But that's not realistic. I just want to, I really want to focus on this one area tonight, how we can be, become better disciples for Christ. And that's that concept that he mentioned about being crucified. I think this is one of the most difficult aspects of my life, and I think for a lot of Christians, what does a crucified Christian life look like? The Lord has prepared us for this calling to be his disciples. He's not placing a call upon our lives that he's not already provided for. Would you turn with me over to Galatians? Galatians chapter 2. In Galatians chapter 2, all throughout the book of Galatians, we see uh, what crucified Christian living truly looks like. In Galatians chapter 2, in verse number 20, the Bible says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. I mean, it's, it's, here we are, the, the crucified Christian life. And, and, it, and he starts to explain these things that are really, they're, they're kind of opposites of each other. I am crucified with Christ. Well, if I'm crucified with Christ, then I'm dead. Nevertheless, I live. Wait a second, I'm not dead, I'm alive. Why? Because my flesh was crucified, right? And I'm made alive in my spirit, quickened because of his sacrifice. It's not me that's alive, it says, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. The crucified Christian life begins with faith in Jesus Christ and what he did for us, who loved me and gave himself for me. I mean, do you, how often do you read the crucifixion of Jesus Christ? I'd encourage you to read it often. There's something amazing when you, when you focus on the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, what he did for you. In Matthew chapter 27 
the Bible talks about the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. Verse number 27. Let's go over there together. Let's read this. As we, as we examine this idea of being a, a disciple of Christ. Matthew chapter 27. Verse number 27, Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the common hall and gathered unto him the whole band of soldiers, and they stripped him and put on him a scarlet robe. And when they had plaited a crown of thorns, they put it upon his head and a reed in his right hand. And they bowed the knee before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews! And they spit upon him and took the reed and smote him on the head. And after that they had mocked him, they took the robe off from him and put on his own raiment on him and led him away to crucify him. And as they came out, they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name. Him they compelled to bear his cross. And when they were come into a place called Golgotha, that is to say a place of a skull, they gave him vinegar to drink and mingled with gall. And when he had tasted thereof, he would not drink. And they crucified him and parted his garments, casting lots, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet. They parted my garments among them, and upon my vestures they did cast lots. And sitting down, they watched him there, and set, upon, uh, set up over his head this accu- accusation written, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. The crucifixion of Jesus Christ. I am able to be crucified in Christ, because of what he did on that cross. Do you understand that that crucified Christian life is the idea that I am no longer bound to my flesh? That that spirit is made alive in me because of what Jesus Christ did for me on the cross? What an important aspect of me being the crucified Christian I ought to be. And, And if I'm not the crucified Christian I ought to be, then I won't be the proper disciple that I ought to be. And so in order to do that, I have to keep in perspective the cross and what he did for me. But you know what? It's easy for that to, uh, to dissipate from our mind. For in just a couple verses later in Galatians chapter 3, verse number 1, he says, O foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you that you should not obey the truth, before whose eyes Jesus Christ hath been evidently set forth, crucified among you. Now they had become bewitched by false teachers, adding to their, 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 uh, the, the gift of salvation, the works. And who hath bewitched you? Who hath, who, hath, who hath drawn your attention away from me and what I, what I did, what I accomplished for you on the cross of Calvary? I want to be a disciple of Christ. I think you want to be a disciple of Christ. We have got to keep ever in our minds what He accomplished for us on the cross. It's so easy to become discouraged in the world in which we live. Uh, there's so many faults and failures in our lives. And, and you may come into a church service and you feel like every time I'm leaving, man, I just leave, I feel like I got beat up. You know, it, you're just like, there's so many failures, there's so many flaws in me. And and I could feel that way just like you do. There's so many flaws. But you know what? I'm not submitted to this flesh. I don't have to be submitted to this flesh. I don't have to live in weakness. I don't have to live in failure because of what Jesus Christ did for me. 
If I'm going to be the Christian I ought to be, if I'm going to be the light I ought to be, if I'm going to be the salt that I ought to be for this world, then that means I've got to ever keep in my mind what Jesus Christ did for me on the cross. The Galatian church began to add other works into their faith. You know, when we are not truly crucified to our own will, it's like adding works to our salvation. We want everything the Master has to offer, but we're wanting to go about it our own way. Not as if we're going to earn more salvation. We understand we can't do that. But we're just serving Him on our own terms and conditions. That's not what a crucified life looks like. That's not what a disciple of Christ looks like. They're crucified to their own desires. The Galatian church was bewitched. Just as Jesus said, hey, there's relationships and things around you that will become distracting. How can I then become successful in having the crucified Christian life that I ought to have? Well, I want to remind you of a couple principles then. And they're found right here in Galatians. Would you turn to Galatians chapter 5, verse number 24? Galatians chapter 5, verse number 24 says, And they that are Christ's have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. You know what it means to be in Christ? To have truly accepted Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior? That in the Spirit, the flesh's desires, the affections, as it describes here, uh, let's see, are crucified in the flesh with the affections and the lusts, the things that we look at and that we want. They have been crucified because of the cross of Jesus Christ. His work in our life that kills our flesh and makes our spirit alive. Uh, Our own lusts and affections have been crucified. It's not the natural response for a believer to be enticed by the things of this world. Unless you are letting your lusts and affections overcome your spirit. Oh, I just struggle with so many things in my life. There's, man, this over here and this over here, and I find they're drawing me over there. It's, you, you've not, you are, you, are, you are quenching the Holy Spirit of God in your life. Those things are supposed to be dead. There are so many temporal things that we set our affections on. I mean, do you, I, I would encourage you to stop and think about what you did in today. Our talk talks and our walk talks, but our walk talks louder than our talk talks, right? So what did, what did you do today that would describe, without you saying a word about your Christianity, whether your spirit or your flesh is in control of your life? Yeah, I want to be a disciple. Yeah, I want to be a follower of Christ. Yeah, I want to be effective for the cause of Christ. Then you have got to be crucified in your flesh. And in order to be that, you have got to be alive in your spirit. 
You cannot be a disciple of Christ if you are not walking with God. It is impossible. You can say you're a disciple, but you cannot be because you will continue, continue to allow your flesh to rule your life. You will continue to make bad decision after bad decision after bad decision because the spirit is not strong enough. The spirit is willing. My spirit is willing. Your spirit is willing. But when it actually comes to following through with it, in our own flesh, we're weak. And so we have to be in his strength. And so you cannot be a disciple uh, that is truly being effective for the cause of Christ if you are not walking with him. Has your flesh overpowered your spirit today? Are you walking in your flesh more than you're walking in your spirit? Determine this by where your affections are. Because they're supposed to have been crucified. What do you look at and say, oh man, I'd really love that? Because that's where your lusts are. These are not maybe earth-shattering principles, but I'm telling you, this is right where the rubber meets the road in our Christian lives. This is where uh, is the difference between being filled with the Holy Spirit and walking in the flesh and fulfilling the lust thereof. Man, success. Successful Christian lives. We, we use these terms and we use these, these concepts and we say, this is what I want and this is what I'm pursuing, but uh, are we truly pursuing it the way the Bible outlines for us? Or are we just do, going at it in our own pattern, our own way? We saw in Luke chapter 14 where he said, if you're going to let relationships of this world or your own will be greater than mine, you cannot be my disciple. It's impossible for you. The Lord doesn't lie, right? It certainly doesn't. You cannot be my disciple. So we need to be crucified in our Christian living. To be crucified in our Christian living, obviously, we have to be a child of Christ. We look to the cross for that. We have to be crucified to our flesh. We have to be uh, we have to allow the world to be crucified unto us. Would you look in Galatians chapter 6 and verse number 14? But God forbid that I should glory. Save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me. Is the world crucified unto you? I mean, in Christ, it ought to be. But we know that the Spirit warreth against the flesh. And in our flesh, <laughs> we can resurrect our desire for the world. You know... It's important for us to understand and to remind ourselves that this world passeth away and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. This world passeth away. Why then is it so easy for me to become consumed in it? 
I mean, this may be kind of melancholy to you, but there are really no pleasures in this world that compare to anything like serving Christ. And we can echo amen, and I heard him across the room, but there are so many pleasures in this world that cause the cause of Christ to pale in our mind's eye. I mean, isn't there? Isn't there so many things that we enjoy and in the moment we completely forget about eternity? <laughs> it can happen. And, and I'm not, again, I, I say it's kind of a, a melancholy thought because it's, it's not as though we shouldn't enjoy uh, things of life. The Lord has given us those senses and those ability uh, to enjoy, but all of it in perspective of the cross. All of it in perspective for eternity. But often what happens is the world is, is, is not really crucified <laughs> to us. It's very much alive and well. Why is it that uh, so many people get saved but don't ever turn away from the world? Is it, a, is it an automatic thing that happens? I mean, if you just read this verse on the onset, it, it says uh, in verse number uh, 14, but God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. Man, this is because of Christ and what he's done for me, uh, the world is, is just dead. That's all it is. It's just dead. No, that's not what the verse says. It might, what it, might what it appear to say. It might be what it appears to say. But what he says here is God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. When I look at what Jesus Christ did for me on the cross, when I keep the cross in my perspective, when I understand that I need to be crucified in my living, that's when the world becomes dead unto me. See, when we're not crucified with Christ, the world is very much alive to us. When we're glorying in something else other than what Jesus Christ has accomplished for us. Our own flesh, our own strength. <laughs> Thinking we can get through this life on our own. Not being dependent upon him. Not being committed. Not being obedient. Not being a disciple. The world ought to be crucified unto us. So many distractions. And I, I have to, and even in, in preparation, I had to just examine myself because it's, in preaching a concept like this, I feel like I'm almost putting myself in an instant state of hypocrisy <laughs> because it's, it's so hard. This principle is so hard. But it's hard because I don't depend enough on the Spirit. He's the one that does the crucifying of the world, not you. And here's what we think we need to do as believers. Oh, I, I should be dead to that. I need to not like that. I need to not enjoy that. I need to stay away from it. That's not how a believer is. They don't love those things. They don't, they don't chase after those things. I've got to stop. No. You've got to walk in the Spirit. You've got to be dependent upon him. He'll crucify the world to you. 
Don't glory in yourself. Don't think this is something you're going to accomplish on your own. Oh man, I just can't, I can't stop. I'm stuck in this, uh, this, this rut. I'm stuck in this uh, habit. I'm stuck in this sin. Stop trying to overcome the sin yourself. Stop glorying in yourself. Glory in Him. He'll kill the world for you. Man, what an accomplishment that He'll perform on my behalf. I don't have to do it myself. Now, I have some work I've got to do. I've got to work in walking with Him. I've just got to be faithful and submitted. and I've got to be a disciple. And when I'm a disciple, uh, the, 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 this world fades away. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Man, what a, what a doctrinal song. What happens when you turn your eyes upon Jesus? Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Don't glory in yourself. You want to be the disciple you ought to be. You want to have the fruit that you ought to have. You want to be the salt that, you, uh, that he needs you to be and the light he needs you to be. Uh, you've got to be crucified to this world. And that's his work. Just don't glory in yourself. The second part of that verse says, By whom the world is crucified unto me, and I unto the world. What does that mean? What does it mean if you are crucified unto the world? Jesus Christ was crucified for the world. What does it mean if I'm crucified unto the world? If the world's already dead to me, right? If I'm not enticed by it anymore, those things have grown strangely dim, what does it mean if I am crucified unto the world? I believe that this is, again, that call to commitment of being a disciple. That you are willing to give your life for the same cause that Christ gave his life. I am crucified unto the world. See, when you allow the Lord to work in your life, when you become a true disciple and you follow after Christ, there is no greater cause in life than his cause. There is no other reason for living greater than his reason for dying. What is the greatest reason for your life? Somebody came to your your home today and put a gun to your head and said, give me your best reason why I shouldn't pull the trigger. What would be your response? Oh, I have children? Oh, my wife. I mean, is the first thing that comes to mind the gospel of Christ. That's why I'm here. I, I've got to be, I've got to stay here as long as the Lord wants me here for the gospel of Christ. I've got to be his mouthpiece. I'm an ambassador. 
He sent me here in an official capacity. I can't, I can't go yet unless he's wanting me to go, but until he takes me out of this world, I have no greater cause in this world than the cause of Christ. That is not our natural fleshly response. But that's what a disciple of Christ would look like. What did Jesus from that very young age tell his parents when they were hunting him down? What are you doing? Know ye not? I must be about my father's business. Disciple of Christ is about their father's business. And there is no greater business than that. But this too only comes when we don't glory in our flesh, when we glory in him. You see, I could, I could yell at you all day and be emotional and be inspirational and communicate all these truths about why you need to be a soul winner and why you should be a witness for Christ. But the truth is, what you need to do in order to get the right perspective in soul winning and the right uh, concept and uh, the right mentality towards being a witness for Christ, what you need to do is you need to start walking, for, walking with the Lord. If you're struggling with being a soul winner, if you're struggling with being a witness for Christ, if it's a battle for you to be constantly sharing the gospel, if it's hard for you to constantly hear, you need to be a soul winner, you need to be a soul winner, you need to be a soul winner, then there's a problem in your life, and it's not that somebody keeps telling you you need to be a soul winner. Your problem is that you're glorying in yourself. And you don't have the right perspective. You're not really crucified to yourself. You're not willing to take up your cross. You've got something else that's important in your life. More important than what he has for you. And if you're not going to be crucified in this area, you cannot be his disciple. Do you see that in Galatians chapter 6 verse 14 as we close this evening? But God forbid that I should glory. Save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified. The things of earth become strangely dim. It's crucified unto me, and you know what? I'm crucified unto the world. I'm given to it. The cause of Christ. There is nothing greater. And I want to encourage you above everything tonight. Walk with the Lord. Walk with the Lord. It's so simple. I was having a conversation with one of the guys in church the other day, and he said, that, that theme we had a couple years ago, do the simple well. feel like pastor could have put that one on repeat. And, and I wholeheartedly agree. Because it's just the simple things that we need to do. All the other problems, they iron themselves out. You know, the, the Lord only gave two requirements here if we're going to be a disciple. Have no relationship above me and take up your cross. Be sacrificed to your own will. These are the two things he said you cannot do. If, if you cannot do these, you cannot be my disciple. Talk about simple. Right? At least to me, that seems pretty simple. But we complicate it like we do everything else. We make it difficult. 
Can I encourage you to walk with the Lord? Don't glory in your flesh. If you refuse to walk with the Lord, you're glorying in your flesh. You think that you've got the strength and the ability. Would you just be submitted to walk with the Lord? Read your Bible. Pray every day. Pray every day. Pray every day. Read your Bible. Pray every day. And you'll grow, grow, grow. I feel like I'm stagnant in my Christian life. I don't feel like I've really made progress in my Christian life. Or I'm not satisfied with the progress I'm making. And (laughs) those are all good things to recognize in your life. Just read your Bible. Oh, that's so simple. Why do pastors always say, just read your Bible? I understand there's place for other kinds of counsel, more specifically like verses out of the Bible that would help you. But if you just read your Bible, pray every day, you'll become the disciple you ought to be. You won't glory in your own flesh. And when you don't glory in your own flesh, you become that Christian that we read about in Luke chapter 14 that has the salt, that has savor, that's effective for the cause of Christ. I want to encourage you, be a greater disciple. And you're going to get that by being submitted in your walk with the Lord, crucified to your flesh. Father, we do thank you for this evening and for our time together. Lord, as we come now to this time of invitation, we've uh, read from your word, we've sung songs and worship to you, Lord, I pray that you would help us to be more submitted in our relationship with you. Oh, Lord, there is so much work to be done. And we have the greatest cause in life. Lord, help us to be committed and dedicated to it. Help us to be better disciples. If you would stand with me this evening and